Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1250. The Ukraine War Meets the Oswald Institute of Virology, Part 3. This is being recorded on June 22nd of the year 2022. Uh, Before we get into the main body of the program, a number of uh, points of information. There is an awful lot going on, far too much for me to cover in a weekly one-hour broadcast. And uh, even with the article-length written descriptions featuring the printed sources upon which my uh, lines of presentation are based, there is still way too much going on. So one of the things to do to compensate for that is to pay attention to the comments, most of which are made by our brilliant contributing editor Perifractal, sometimes by other people. The link at the top of each for the record written description at the spitfirelist.com website and at the top of each written food for thought post uh, appears to not work. So uh, checking the Spitfire List com website on a weekly or daily basis and checking out the latest comments by Parafractal will go a long way toward fleshing out your uh, field of information. For those of you who <coughs> find that podcasts are the best way for you to consume the information and increasingly in the year 2022 with uh, smartphone technology increasingly taking over. That is the case for many people. Sister station WFNU is podcasting the For the Record programs, so if uh, podcasts are the best way for you to listen, then the sister station WFNU is podcasting the broadcast, and there is a link again at the top of each written food for thought description and at the, uh, at the top of each food for thought post at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each food for thought post, there is a link to the WFMU podcasts. I emphatically encourage everyone who listens to the program to get the 32 gigabyte flash drive containing all of my life's work, basically everything that is on the SpitfireList.com website, all of my printed work, all of my written work, all of the comments by Parafractal and others, plus a mini library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files that can be obtained for a very modest tax-deductible contribution, and again, if you itemize your tax deductions, uh, you can itemize that. And again, it's available for a very modest sum, and I get no money whatsoever from that. Uh, I am now doing a Patreon site which features three one-hour, usually one-hour-plus talks every week. Uh, there will also be some written content, uh, whether that is edited transcripts of those talks or articles. We're playing around with the technology, so uh, there will be written content available as well. However, uh, that, you know, that, that is still in the process of being adjusted, 
and realized. So uh, stay tuned for announcements about that. But again, for the, on the Patreon site, I am doing three one-hour talks per week. And I know this will come as a great surprise to many people, but uh, very frequently those talks turn out to be longer than one hour. I know it is remarkable that I might find myself talking too much. But uh, again, uh, at least I'm being somewhat self-deprecating. A good friend of mine described uh, the For the Record program as a one-hour-long run-on sentence, which isn't quite true. Uh, (laughs) There are (laughs) quite a few run-on sentences, but uh, the written material is as presented. But anyway, the Patreon sites feature three one-hour talks, often more than one hour, and they are in a much more informal format than this admittedly very pedantic set-piece break in battle. So uh, again, there is a link at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post uh, on the SpitfireList.com website for you to uh, subscribe to Patreon. Now, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you the uh, the work that is being done by Perifractal in combination with basically things is going to be the end of the world. And I mean, I think we're doomed. <laughs> uh, the news is so bad, uh, even beyond, you know, the obvious moderate threat of nuclear war uh, vis-a-vis the Ukraine war. Uh, the things that are coming out, including in connection with the Ukraine war and COVID and the -the state-of-the-art synthetic biology manipulations of microorganisms in order to uh, obtain basically ammunition for waging biological warfare are absolutely spectacular. And in this program, we're going to uh, present some detailed analysis of some of the things in a very important article that I've used in the last two programs. It is from the Organic Consumers Association from April 22nd of 2022. It's by Alexis Baden-Mayer. Is bird flu being weaponized? And there are a number of uh, altogether terrifying things in this article. And I think that uh, the possibility of H5N1 avian flu being weaponized, and there are charges that have been leveled by Russia in the United Nations, is something to be taken very seriously. Also in this article, there is discussion of Metabiota, its links with the EcoHealth Alliance, its work in Ukraine, its work on uh, coronaviruses and the uh, work at what I have called the Oswald Institute of Virology or uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, What we're going to be getting into in weeks to come is some just absolutely terrifying information. Metabiaba, in addition to working with EcoHealth Alliance and being involved with uh, manipulating coronaviruses, including the uh, bat-borne coronaviruses uh, that loom large in the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. Uh, Mevabiotic was partnering 
or has partnered with Munich Reinsurance Company, the insurance giant in Germany, to provide pandemic insurance. And one of the things that in, in the 2018, while Medibiotic was involved with the Nexus that was performing game-of-function manipulations on bat-borne coronaviruses at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, they were doing sort of a scientific war game on what would happen if a novel coronavirus emerged and caused a global pandemic that would rend the economic fabric of every country on Earth asunder. Of course, that is exactly what happened. In 2019, there was a similar exercise, Event 201 in New York City. And uh, with Metabiato at the same time being involved with the manipulation of, of, of uh, coronaviruses and also working with Munich Reinsurance to provide pandemic insurance, it is a terrifying uh, relationship, and we're going to ruminate about that. Uh, Munich Reinsurance developed a business model because in the event of a pandemic, they would wind up paying out so much to those who had signed up for that pandemic insurance that they figured out a great way to, a great business model for making that profitable, and that is that they would sell off tranches of the insurance business to customers. And one of the big uh, customers that have lined up at that particular trough are pension funds. Now, of course, uh, in the event that pensioners live very long lives, that costs pension funds money. But in the event of a pandemic, which is going to cut short the lives of pensioners, then the pension funds make lots of money. Uh, I am also wondering to what extent Big Pharma may be buying some of those tranches because they also make a lot of money off of pandemics. Uh, BioNTech, uh, Pfizer-BioNTech, Moderna made enormous amounts of money off of this. Uh, Gilead Sciences made enormous amounts of money off of this. And they have uh, allegedly been involved in the Pentagon Finance Biolabs in Ukraine as well. So uh, this is developing. There also was a very interesting letter co-authored by Jeffrey Sachs, who headed up the Lancet Commission to investigate the origins of the uh, coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, and he is calling for full disclosure, including from U.S. national security institutions and from some of the institutions involved in financing and cooperating with the work at the WIV. I would not necessarily bet on that full disclosure, but in when we read that letter, it has some very interesting things, which are technically by way of review of other information that we have presented, but it is worth presenting as well. There's also some very depressing news on the... Uh, basically the COVID-19 vaccine front, but we'll get into that as well. Now, the article is Bird Flu Being Weaponized by Alexis Bodden-Mayer from the Organic Consumers Association of April 22nd of 2022. Uh, features 
discussion of the H5N1 avian flu virus and its gain-of-function manipulations performed on it by various uh, scientists. And there is, and, and that, as I've explained in the two other programs, the first two programs in this series, there is a reason why I use the word milieu so much. And it, it describes a type of relationship that is exemplified by the milieu that we're talking about here. What I'm going to do is to talk about these names and try to illustrate uh, by way of firming up what is undoubtedly a very, uh, at least past the point, confusing uh, body of information. Uh, we're going to start with a name that is familiar to people and another name that is not as familiar to people but is one that in a sense could be said to be the godfather of the elements of discussion here. Uh, the said godfather is a gentleman named Frank McFarlane Burnet. He was a brilliant scientist who worked in Australia and is described in an excerpt from this article again. Is bird flu being weaponized by Alexis Bob Mayer, Organic Consumers Association, 422-2022? And he is described as follows. McFarland served, uh, Frank McFarland Bernay served on the Australian Department of Defense's New Weapons and Equipment Development Committee in the 1940s and 1950s. The Federation of American Scientists lists some of the most chilling things Brunei recommended. Brunei said Australia should develop biological weapons that would work in tropical Asia without spreading to Australia's more temperate population centers. Specific, quoting him, specifically to the Australian situation, the most Effective counteroffensive to threatened invasion by overpopulated Asiatic countries would be directed towards the destruction by biological or chemical means of tropical food crops and the dissemination of infectious disease capable of spreading in tropical but not under Australian conditions. In other words, he is an advocate of biological warfare to basically tame, quote, the yellow peril, unquote, from Asia. Now, he's a biological warfare advocate and uh, a participant in uh, pl at least uh, contingency planning for that. And we're going to uh, also note two people who were his protégés. And that is a guy named Kennedy Shortridge and Robert G. Webster. Shortridge and Webster were trained by Frank McFarlane Brunet. And again, that's the gentleman we just spoke about. Now, a name well known to many people in the audience is that of Anthony Fauci, head of the NIH and the, the NIAID. Uh, Anthony Fauci has sponsored gain-of-function manipulations on H5N1 avian flu, uh, chiefly by two people named uh Ron Fouchier, F-O-U-C-H-I-E-R, from the Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, and also Yoshihiro Kawaioke. I think I've been mispronouncing that. He uh, is a fellow who uh, has worked at the University of Tokyo and also at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. 
And as we are going to see, there is a very direct relationship between Kennedy Shortridge and Robert G. Webster, who are protégés of Frank McFarlane Bernay, a brilliant scientist and an advocate of biological warfare, who, among other things, helped Australia to tame, quote, the yellow peril, unquote, in Asia. Now, uh, several things again about H5N1, and this, uh, this article is talking about, uh, allegations of H5N1 being weaponized, reviewing a couple of sections that we have looked at in the past. H5N1 hardly ever infects people. News about how highly pathogenic avian influenza usually leaves with how deadly it is. Rarely is it mentioned that the disease hardly ever infects people. H5N1 kills more than half of the people who get it, but H5N1 has circled the globe for decades, and there have only been 860 human infections worldwide. More about how rare it is. There has never been an H5N1 pandemic, and no human infections with H5N1 bird flu have ever been identified in the United States. That is an extraordinary safety record given how filthy U.S. factory farms and slaughterhouses are and how fast the infection spreads among crowded birds. So far in 2022, 29 states have reported outbreaks of bird flu in 213 flocks, resulting in the culling of nearly 31 million birds, including almost 5% of egg-laying hens. In 2015, it was even worse with 50 million birds culled, but there wasn't a single human case. Anthony Fauci has made significant investments in gain-of-function research to give H5N1 pandemic potential, making it easily transmissible from person to person, and Bill Gates chipped in for the financing as well. Now, in February of 2006, Fauci convened a one-day in-house MIAID, that's National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases Influenza Research Summit, to identify influenza research priorities. In September, he opened up the topic to a 35-member blue ribbon panel on influenza research that included Ron Fouché and Yoshihira Kawaoki. Kawaoka, K-A-W-A-O-K-A. The blue ribbon panel's report doesn't mention gain-of-function experiments, but Fauci gave them grants to do just that. Juan Fouché and Yoshihiro Kawaoka's now infamous gain-of-function research showed that through lab manipulation, H5N1 could be altered to become highly transmissible among humans via airborne infection. And it was those gain-of-function manipulations on H5N1 that led to the at least uh, official uh, suspension of gain-of-function manipulations in the U.S. under the Obama administration. Uh, we looked at an article from Vassar, uh, not Vassar magazine, from uh, Vanity Fair magazine from June of 2021 that said basically it would be the 
moratorium on game and function manipulations was simply winked at, although officially denied it went on anyway. Uh, In 2017, the Trump administration lifted that official moratorium. Now, uh, there has been some emergence of H5N1 infecting human beings, and very significantly, uh, the first known instance was in Hong Kong in 1997, in the year that Hong Kong was handed over from Britain, which had incorporated, had basically uh, appropriated Hong Kong in the opium wars in the mid-19th century, when it was handed over to China, and at that point, there was an outbreak of H5N1, and Kennedy Shortridge, again, uh, an Australian national, who had a lab in Hong Kong and was a protege of Frank McFarlane Burnet, was front and center in that, in the research of that breakout. Turning once again to the, uh, article from Organic Consumers. The emergence of the virus in 1997 in Hong Kong was eerily predicted by Kennedy Shortridge, the very scientist who would discover it. H5N1 did not infect humans until Shortridge and his colleagues had been studying its human infection potential in their labs for several years. At the same time, the natural leap of a flu directly from poultry to humans was so improbable that scientists first suspected that it was the result of contamination from Shortridge's lab. And bear in mind that Shortridge, along with Robert G. Webster, about whom we're going to hear more in just a minute, are protégés of biological warfare advocate Frank McFarlane Burnet, who works for the Australian Ministry of Defense, and advocated biological warfare as a means of uh, taming the, quote, yellow peril, unquote, from Asia. Still more from the Organic Consumers uh, article. The first human H5N1 outbreak occurred in Hong Kong in 1997, the year of what the British called the Hong Kong handover, when sovereignty over Hong Kong was transferred from the UK to China. It was during this politically sensitive year that Kennedy Shortridge, an Australian scientist who was the director of the World Health Organization's reference laboratory at the University of Hong Kong, confirmed human cases of highly pathogenic bird flu. And uh, still more, again, from the Is Bird Flu Being Weaponized? from Organic Consumers Association. Shortridge had been studying how avian influenza viruses spread to humans since 1975. Prior to discovering H5N1, Shortridge eagerly predicted its emergence. As Frank Ching reported in Bird Flu, SARS, and Beyond, as early as 1982, Shortridge had labeled southern China, where humans and domestic animals lived in close proximity, quote, an epicenter for the origin of pandemics, unquote. Ten years later, he called southern China, quote, a virus soup, unquote, and warned that pandemic influenza was a zoonosis, that is, it could be transmitted from animals to humans, and in 1995, two years before the human outbreak of H5N1 in Hong Kong, he warned that influenza in southern China could not properly be called an emerging infection because it was constantly lurking. Elusive, 
might be more apt, he wrote. I'm uh, quoting still more here. An example of Shortridge's penchant for such predictions is his 1995 Lancet article, quote, The Next Pandemic Influenza Virus, unquote. Curiously, H5N1 emerged two years later in 1997 in the very same city where Shortridge worked, Hong Kong, and again in the very same year that Hong Kong was handed over to China. Of course, Hong Kong, the focal point of destabilization covert operations as we have looked at in numerous programs. Continuing. At the time, the natural leap of a flu directly from poultry to humans was thought to be so unlikely that scientists first suspected contamination from Shortridge's lab was the cause of the highly improbable H5N1 diagnosis. How would that contamination happen unless Shortridge hadn't already been working with H5N1 in the lab. And uh, talking about how unusual this 1997 mutation of H5N1 was, the 1997 Hong Kong H5N1 virus was unique in every respect. Time magazine reported, quote, on the H gene, at a point called the cleavage site, was found a telltale mutation, the same kind of mutation found in other highly pathogenic avian viruses. The virus had regions that were identical. One more time. The virus had regions that were identical to portions of an avian virus that struck Pennsylvania chickens in 1983. Now about that, the most eerie connection between Kennedy Shortridge and Robert G. Webster's labs, is that the closest known relative of the 1997 Hong Kong H5N1 was the avian virus that struck Pennsylvania chickens in 1983. We just heard about that. One more time. The most eerie connection between Kennedy Shortridge and Robert G. Webster's labs is that the closest known relative of the 1997 Hong Kong H5N1 was the avian virus that struck Pennsylvania chickens in 1983 that Yoshihiro Kawaioka had studied, again, a, pro- a protege of Webster and a recipient of gain-of-function uh, funding from Anthony Fauci. Continuing, according to Time magazine, Webster assigned a young scientist, Yoshihiro Kawaioka, to try to figure out how the 1983 virus transformed itself into such a hot pathogen. Kawaioka, now a professor of virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, compared the genetic structure of viruses from the first and second waves and found only a single, extremely subtle change in the H gene. The two viruses differed by just one nucleotide, one of 1,700 nucleotides that made up that gene. Now, still more about how unusual the variant of H5N1 that broke out in Hong Kong in the very year that it was being transferred from uh, Britain to China, and uh, which had been forecast by Kennedy Shortridge, again, protege of uh, BW advocate Frank McFarlane Brunet, 
The LA Times reported, quote, the H5 piece in the virus came from a virus in a goose. The N1 piece came from a second virus in a quail. The remaining flu genes came from a third virus also in quail. Uh, so that is very, very interesting. Look at all of the different uh, viruses from different birds that uh, went to uh, comprise that particular uh, human, very rare human outbreak in Hong Kong in 1997 that was predicted by Kennedy Shortridge in 1995. Still more. H5N1 didn't cause disease in humans until this potential had been studied in a lab for several years. Anthony Fauci had been funding Yoshihiro Kawaoka and Ron Fouché's efforts to get bird flu to leap to humans since 1990, and their work was connected to what Shortridge was doing in Hong Kong. For seven years prior to the first human H5N1 outbreak in 1997, Fauci had been funding Kawaoka's game-of-function bird flu research at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and Kawaoka's mentor there, Robert G. Webster, parenthetically a protege of Frank McFarlane Bernard, was working and publishing with Kennedy Shortridge, parenthetically another protege of Frank McFarlane Bernard, a chief advocate of biological warfare, as we have seen. Continuing, every year, Webster spent three months working with Shortridge at the University of Hong Kong, according to this profile of Webster, which mentions Kawaoke as his protege. And then uh, still more, uh, and just re- repeating what we've already uh, covered, because again, this is so technical, and I can appreciate that this is very hard for people to listen to. That, by the way, is why I put together the long written descriptions of the For the Record program so that people can read the information for themselves. The most eerie connection between Shortridge and Webster's labs is that the closest known relative of the 1997 Hong Kong H5N1 was the avian virus that struck Pennsylvania chickens in 1983 that Yoshihira Kawioka had studied. According to Time magazine, Webster assigned a young scientist, Yoshihira Kawaoka, to try to figure out how the 1983 virus transformed itself into such a hot pathogen. Kawaoka, now a professor of virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, compared the genetic structure of viruses from the first and second waves and found only a single, extremely subtle change in the H gene. The two viruses differed by just one nucleotide, one of 1,700 nucleotides that made up the gene. There's also a connection to Ron Fouché through his mentor at the Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, Jan Bijon, also a colleague and collaborator of Kennedy Shortridge and Robert G. Webster's, again, both privileges of biological warfare advocate Frank McFarlane Bernard. <clears throat> now about Dijon, again, a collaborator and a colleague of both Webster and Shortridge. Dijon is often credited with being the one who identified the 1997 Hong Kong flu as H5N1, but he did so with, quote, a panel of reagents to every type of flu strain yet known, 
that have been brought from Robert G. Webster's lab in Memphis to the National Influenza Center in Rotterdam. And then, uh, uh, dulling out the camera somewhat. Kawaoka and Fouché are a post-biological weapons convention era where the weaponization of pathogens is euphemistically called gain-of-function research, but their older colleagues, Dijon, Shortridge, and Webster came of age prior to 1972, and their mentors were of the pre-biological weapons convention era when virologists knowingly and openly engineered viruses for military purposes. Shortridge and Webster were trained by Frank McFarlane Burnet, who served on the Australian Department of Defense's New Weapons and Equipment Development Committee in the 1940s and 1950s. The Federation of American Scientists lists some of the most chilling things Burnet recommended. Burnet said Australia should develop biological weapons that would work in tropical Asia without spreading to Australia's more temperate population centers. Specifically to the Australian situation, the most effective, this again quoting from uh, Bernay and from the uh, article from Organic Consumers Association, specifically to the Australian situation, the most effective counteroffensive to threatened invasion by overpopulated Asiatic countries would be directed towards the destruction by biological or chemical means of tropical food crops and the dissemination of infectious disease capable of spreading in tropical, but not under Australian conditions. And by the way, among the things against which those comments should be mentioned is the information presented in former record programs 1171, 1172, and 1173 about a chilling chapter in an excellent book about Unit 731 uh, that was published in Britain. Uh, it's it's an excellent book, even in this American edition, but the American edition leaves out an entire chapter which discusses the use of both techniques developed by Unit 731 in uh, China by the Japanese Biological Warfare Unit, and also apparently utilizing some of the same personnel to wage biological warfare against both China and North Korea, including the manipulation of uh, weaponry uh, directed against food. So that also should be uh, perused in connection or considered in connection of same. Now again, uh, we have spoken uh, in reading the Organic Consumers article into the record, we noted that uh, uh, Russia has alleged in uh, meetings at the United Nations, uh, that weaponized H5N1 was being developed in the Ukrainian laboratories that uh, received Pentagon funding. We discussed that in numerous programs. Uh, we've also spoken about Metabiopa and their links to that, their links with the uh, EcoHealth Alliance, and uh, we'll come back to Metabiopa in our next program, because that is chilling. Now, what I'm going to do uh, during the next portion of the program, and th- this may be all we have time for, is to review some information that we have read into the record in For the Record 1243. Now, uh, again, in the eight, uh, we're going to review uh, some uh, information from a blog called the Indian Punchline that is authored by a guy named... 
M.K. Barbakumar, capital B-H-A-B-R-A-K-U-M-A-R. Now, again, that's not a household name in the U.S. Uh, his CV from his blog is as follows. Barbakumar writes, I was a career diplomat by profession. For someone growing up in the 1960s in a remote town at the southern tip of India, diplomacy was an improbable profession. My passion was for the world of literature, writing, and politics, roughly in that order. While doing doctoral research on the works of Tennessee Williams, however, friends encouraged me to have a fling at the civil services examination. As it turned out, before I could figure out the momentous import of what was unfolding, fate had pitchforked me into the top ranks of the merit list and ushered me into the Indian Foreign Service. Roughly half of the three decades of my diplomatic career was devoted to assignments on the territories of the former Soviet Union and Pakistan, Iran, and Afghanistan. Other overseas postings included South Korea, Sri Lanka, Germany, and Turkey. I write mainly on Indian foreign policy and the affairs of the Middle East, Eurasia, Central Asia, South Asia, and the Asia Pacific. And again, that's uh, some of the uh, CV of Mr. Barbara Kumar. Now, in uh, a post from April 21st of 2022, actually the day before the uh, Organic Consumers Association article by Alexis Baden-Mayer, this is from the Indian Punchline blog, Migratory Birds of Mass Destruction by N.K. Barbara Kumar. The UN Security Council held an extraordinary event on April 6th under the rubric ARIA Formula Meeting on Biological Security regarding the biological activities in countries including Ukraine. Predictably, the U.S. and U.K. representatives didn't show up at the event, and the Western media also blacked out the proceedings. But that does not detract from the profound significance of what transpired. The highlight of the Security Council proceedings lasted over two hours. The highlight of the Security Council proceedings lasting over two hours was the disclosure by General Igor Kirillov, Chief of the Radiation, Chemical, and Biological Defense Forces of the Russian Armed Forces, that Washington is creating biological laboratories in different countries and connecting them to a unified system. He said the U.S. has spent more than $5 billion on military biological programs since 2005 and detailed that in territories bordering Russia and China alone, about 60 facilities have been modernized during this period. The Ukrainian network of laboratories is designed to research and monitor the biological situation consisting of 30 facilities in 14 populated countries. Highly sensitive materials from the Ukrainian biological laboratories were exported to the U.S. in early February, just before the Russian special operation began, and the rest were ordered to be destroyed lest they fall into Russian hands. But the cover-up was only partially successful. Indeed, Russia is in possession of highly incriminating evidence. Previously, also, Russia had released a number of documents related to the biological military activities of the Pentagon, which pointed towards a worldwide project to set up biological laboratories in rival countries with the goal of developing targeted viral weapons against those countries. 
The proceedings of the Security Council Conference on April 6th are in the public domain and are accessible. Russia has made specific allegations pointing fingers at the Pentagon funding for the biolabs in Ukraine, the location of these biolabs not only in Ukraine but 36 countries around the world, diseases and epidemics on which research work is going on, focusing on the means for their release, the countries where they are being tested, even without the knowledge of the governments of these countries, and of course, experiments relating to coronavirus and bats used to transmit this virus. And again, this is in a UN uh, session on April 6th. I believe there has been one since then. Uh, this is not something that should be treated cavalierly. It, pro forma in this country, this will be dismissed as you know, Russian propaganda, lies, etc. Uh, that is predictable. It is also unfortunate because it will help to blunt uh, any serious scrutiny of these allegations. And that, of course, is exactly the idea. Continuing. However, the U.S. has so far point-blank refused to accept any supervision and verification of such incriminatory evidences and has stonewalled the demand for a verification mechanism. It is unlikely that the U.S. will permit an international verification process that holds the potential to expose it as indulging in crimes against humanity, although there are appropriate frameworks in place including the Biological Weapons Convention and the UN, to hear the clarifications from the relevant country in a fair and impartial manner. A mind-boggling discovery that Russian forces in Ukraine stumbled upon is the use of numbered birds by the Pentagon-funded labs. This almost falls out of science fiction, and Sir Alfred Hitchcock could have made an epic movie out of it were... One more time. This almost falls out of science fiction, and Sir Alfred Hitchcock could have made an epic movie out of it where deception mixes with innocence and man's cruelty to nature becomes unbearably grotesque. The project works like this. To begin with, the Pentagon accesses the scientific data available with environmental specialists and zoologists after studying the migration of birds and observing them throughout the seasons, relating to the path these birds take each year on their seasonal journey from one country to another, even from one continent to another. On the basis of this data, groups of migratory birds are caught, digitized, and capsules of germs are attached to them that carry a chip to be controlled through computers. The birds are then released to the flock of the migratory birds in those target countries toward which the U.S. intelligence has malevolent intentions. Of course, these migratory birds travel great distances. The wandering albatross, for instance, is known to migrate at least 8,500 kilometers eastward across the South Pacific to the coast of South America, and many shy albatrosses migrate westward across the Indian Ocean to the coast of South Africa. During the long flight of the birds that have been digitized in the Pentagon biolabs, their movement is monitored step by step by means of satellites, and the exact locations are determined. The idea is that if the Biden administration or the CIA has a requirement to inflict harm on, say, Russia or China or India, for that matter, the chip is destroyed and the bird, when the bird is in their skies. 
plainly put, kill the bird carrying the epidemic. Once the bibliotized bird is killed in the capsule of germs it carries is, is released, the disease spreads in the X or Y country. It becomes a highly effective, cost-effective, a highly cost-effective method of harming an enemy country without any need of war or coup d'etat or color revolution. The Russians have made the shocking claim that they are actually in possession of such migratory birds digitized in the Pentagon's biolabs. International law expressly forbids the numbering of migratory birds because they freely crisscross the blue sky and air of other countries. By supplying them with germs, these birds become weapons of mass destruction. Well, obviously, the question uh, that is implicit in this presentation is, A, uh, to what extent are the Russian allegations of weaponization of bird flu in the Ukraine Pentagon-funded biolabs related to this alleged digitization of migratory birds and the fitting of said digitized migratory birds with capsules of deadly pathogens. I wonder if, again, uh, the H5N1 avian influenza, which kills half of all people who get it, but rarely infects human beings. Uh, I wonder if that is in play here. That is why I went into the information uh, about Frank McFarlane Bernay, his protégés, Kennedy Shortridge, and Robert G. Webster. The remarkably prescient forecast in 1995 by Shortridge that uh, an H5N1 epidemic just might take place in southern China. Then in 1997, just such an outbreak takes place in the very year that Hong Kong is being handed over from Britain to China. And as we have seen, uh, Anthony Fauci and the NIAID, EcoHealth Alliance, Metabiota are involved with, they, we've seen them and their involvement with the uh, game of function research uh, on bat-borne coronaviruses at the Oswald Institute of Virology, as I call it, also at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. More about that in weeks to come. Uh, they also, that is to say, that same here we go again, Milieu, Anthony Fauci, Apple, are involved with the game-of-function research on H5N1, as we have looked at in past programs, including for the record 11 through the 8th. Uh, H5N1 and its human pandemic potential was a focal point of research by Gilead Sciences, and that's why they developed Tamiflu, an antiviral agent, which was then stockpiled by the U.S. Department of Defense in the early, in the first decade of the century, when the Secretary of Defense was Donald Rumsfeld, previously Chairman of the Board of Directors of Gilead Sciences, and he had a whole lot of Gilead stock in his possession at the time, so he made a whole lot of money. And again, the foundational element of that research and uh, those very lucrative transactions was weaponized bird flu, or at least the fear that H5N1 would jump to human beings. Reviewing another element uh, that we looked at in for the record 1143, this is from the Hindu blog of November 8th of 2014, The Birds of Bharatpur by N. R. Krishnan. 
And this talks about a, uh, an Indian civil servant who was uh, experiencing some recalcitrant uh, attitudes on the part of uh, colleagues uh, that he had queried about a research project at uh, a, at the Keo Labeo, K-E-O-L-A-B-E-O, Ghana Bird Sanctuary. An Indian ornithological, again from the Birds of Bharatpur by N.R. Krishnan, an Indian ornithological outfit was interested in studying the migratory paths of the wintering birds. They wanted to catch a number of birds, put colors around their necks with identification marks, and release them. The idea was to keep track of the birds wherever they rested along their routes and and on their return to Bharatpur the next winter. Financial support came from the World Health Organization. And by the way, that has, as a matter of uh, record, collaborated with elements that we have looked at in connection with BW. Uh, Kennedy Shortridge was working for WHO in Hong Kong. Continuing. One afternoon, the young officer had the opportunity to have tea with a veteran scientist cum administrator in the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research. The elderly man was all warmth and friendliness and inquired of the officer how things were. The young man poured out his tale of woe in failing to convince the powers that be of the genuine request of the ornithologists and how much natural sciences research would be affected Saul's assistance. The man laughed and asked, quote, Do you know the background of this project and the people who were interested in it, unquote, and proceeded to provide enlightenment? It appeared to be a unit of the U.S. Army called Migratory Animal Pathological Survey was interested in the project. The Army's interest lay in knowing whether bacteria were being transmitted by the migrating birds. The project offered an excellent means of investigation and therefore had acquired an ominous significance. For the novice deputy secretary, unused to such international cloak and dagger stuff, it was all like a John Le Carré novel with the field agent not knowing whether he was the hunter or the hunted. The man's words explained the caution on the part of the officers he met and were terrifying. And obviously the question suggests itself, uh, are the Russian allegations of digitization of migratory birds in any way connected to that exploratory program that was encountered by this Indian civil servant in the 1960s in which the army was interested in uh, the pathogenic possibilities of of, uh, migrating birds? Another thing that we looked at in connection with uh, the use of migratory birds and biological warfare comes from the landmark text that we used in further record programs 1135 and 1136 and came back to again in 1215. Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons by Chris Newby, published in hardcover by HarperCollins. And this uh, talks about some research in 1968 by Daniel Somenshine in Virginia. And I'm going to excerpt this uh, very briefly because uh, we're running low on time. Uh, what Daniel Simonshine did was to take radiologically marked uh, 
lone star ticks, a very virulent uh, disease vector. Uh, they're not blind like many types of ticks, and they actively stalk their prey, and they also hunt in packs, and again, they're virulent, and their bites are very irritating. And what he did was he took these uh, lone star tick and uh, lone star tick larvae, and he marked them radiologically, and they were then placed uh, in the Atlantic Flyway. That is a migratory bird superhighway that runs along the eastern South American and North American coasts. So more about that. The sites, again, chosen by uh, Daniel Sommertrine. The sites were located on the Atlantic Flyway, the migratory bird superhighway that runs along the eastern South American and North American coasts. Lone Star Picks have several survival advantages over their deer pick cousins. They don't wait patiently on a stalk of grass for passing prey. They are active hunters that call upon any carbon dioxide emitting animal, including birds, skipping down. Although previously they had only been found south of the Mason-Dixon line, continuing here. But in the 1970s, these ticks began rapidly expanding their range. Seven, that's the footnote here. The first Lone Star pick observed on Montauk, Long Island was in 1971, and as of 2018, established populations have been observed as far north as Maine. And as all this begs the question, what is driving this mass migration of the Lone Star Pick and its disease-causing hitchhikers northward? Well, again, they attack birds, and these experiments were done in the late 1960s on the Atlantic Flyway. So I certainly think that one of the hypotheses uh, that suggests itself is that... Uh, they spread so far north because of those experiments. And uh, the, one of the uh, parties to that, but the studies, well, and this again quoting from uh, Bitten, but the studies were also useful for the U.S. military planners at Fort Detrick who wanted to know how far Lone Star Picks might spread when released into enemy territory. So again, uh, it is not without precedent that migratory birds and biological warfare were studied in tandem. Again, I asked the question, uh, is there any connection between the information that was uh, uncovered in the uh, book, the birds, uh, in, in the blog, I should say, blog article, the birds of Bharatpur, and the information that was presented, the allegations presented by Russia at the April 6th UN meeting and discussed by uh, the Indian Punchline blog as well. And again, if, again, with a capital I and a capital F, there was any substance to those Russian allegations, is that in connection with weaponized H5N1 with the background that we have already looked at? Uh, as we speak, by the way, there is a huge H5N1 outbreak in the U.S. It is not only affecting large numbers of domestic fowl, but it also is affecting birds in the wild. There was an article in the New York Times about uh, American bald eagles being affected by H5N1. And from the New York Times of Saturday, June 18th of 2022, we have the following by Jim Robbins. A gull flaps its wings and a deadly virus explodes. 
a great black-backed gull migrating from Europe to eastern Canada last winter, may have been the first carrier to North America of the deadly strain of avian influenza that has killed tens of millions of domestic poultry and devastated wild bird populations. The wide-scale outbreaks have provided researchers with a new opportunity to fine-tune their understanding of the disease by studying which wild bird species, behaviors, and ecologies play key roles in transmission. Quote, Previous studies looking at bird flu made these large categorizations of wild and domestic birds, said Dr. Nicola Hill, an assistant professor of biology at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, and lead author of a new paper on the topic. And uh, what this uh, discusses is a black-backed gull. Uh, after the migrating gull came ashore, the highly pathogenic H5N1 virus exploded across North America. So, uh, as I joked in one of the Patreon one-hour talks, instead of Jonathan Livingston Seagull, here what we have in effect is Lee Harvey Seagull. Uh, again, there is an outbreak of H5N1. Knock, knock. So far, it has remained confined to birds. I wonder, again, is there any possible link between the allegations of digitized migratory birds uh, as BW vectors coming out of Ukraine and this migrating black uh, wing, black-backed gull. Uh, I wonder if the avian outbreak of H5N1 uh, is in any way meant to either foreshadow a human outbreak or at the very least to create fear of a human outbreak, because as we will look at in our program next week, uh, Metabiata, again, involved with the genetic manipulations of coronaviruses uh, in partnership with uh, the EcoHealth Alliance at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or as I call it, the Oswald Institute of Virology, was also working with Munich Reinsurance to develop pandemic insurance. And uh, one of the factors in that was the one of the promotional factors for selling pandemic insurance was fear. And Metabiota began as a digital a digital operation that was using big tech to uh, determine the possibilities of pandemics. Google was heavily involved in that. Eventually, that became uh, the for-profit Metabiota, and that was very much linked to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and we will review some of the information that we have looked at in connection with Metabiota in our program next week. Uh, again, there is an article from uh, the Daily Mail of London exclusive. Hunter Biden did help secure millions in funding for U.S. contractor in Ukraine specializing in deadly pathogen research. Laptop emails revealed raising more questions about the disgraced son of the then vice president. And uh, as the article notes, uh, Moscow's claim that Hunter Biden helped finance a U.S. military bioweapons research program in Ukraine is at least partially true, according to new emails obtained exclusively by DailyMail.com 
and by the way, confirmed by them. However, we are out of time. More about this, and I've also discussed this in the Patreon talks that are available. This concludes for the record program number 1250, The Ukraine War Meets the Oswald Institute of Virology, Part 3. This is being recorded on June 22nd of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.